Hello, everyone, and welcome to what will be a very engaging two-part presentation on advocacy in the CF realm. CFRI is very involved in advocacy efforts on both the state and federal level. There are many issues that impact our community, including multiple challenges to access to therapies, such as copay accumulator programs, the need for greater awareness of diversity within our CF community, ongoing health disparities, and the need for increased research funding to advance research and drug development. I am delighted to introduce our two speakers, each of whom has a unique experience advocating for the community. First, we'll hear from Diane Shader-Smith. Diane is a writer, speaker, publicist, CF fundraiser, and advocate for bioethics, beige therapy, and antimicrobial resistance uh, therapies. After her daughter, Mallory Smith, died from complications um, from a superbug infection, there we go, um, Diane compiled and edited Mallory's diary entries, which were published as Salt in My Soul, An Unfinished Life. Earlier this year, Three Arts Entertainment produced a documentary film, Salt in My Soul, based on Mallory's memoir. Diane has since traveled the globe speaking about the patient experience, organ transplant, phage therapy, and antimicrobial resistance. After Diane, we'll hear from Jacob Fraker. Jacob was diagnosed with CF in utero after his older brother was diagnosed at the age of three years. Jacob earned his bachelor's in social work at San Jose State University and his master's in social welfare at UC Berkeley. I've had the pleasure of working with Jacob since 2017 when he first served as CFRI's legislative analyst. Jacob works for California Senator Susan Eggman's team as a Senate consultant to the LGBTQ caucus and as a policy analyst for the Senator, carrying bills and advising on many issues, including human services, insurance, and rare disease issues. We're so thrilled to have both Jacob and Diane here. I know there'll be lots of questions from people, but just to, to let you know, Diane will speak, then Jacob, then we'll have our Q&A. So with that, I turn it over to you, Diane. Welcome. Every day on Capitol Hill, in the White House, and in federal agencies, public health is discussed and decisions are made about legislation, regulations, and policy. Many people mistakenly think one person, one voice, can't make a difference, but I'm here to tell you otherwise, to share what I'm doing, and to offer ways for you to advocate. When my daughter Mallory died from the recurrence of Sepatia two months after surviving a double lung transplant, I was distraught. Emotionally paralyzed, I turned to her journals, which she had kept diligently for 10 years. As it would turn out, Mallory had left me a lifeline with her writing, a platform that would become salt in my soul, both the book and the documentary, that would enable me to use my voice to raise awareness for the power of patient story, the promise phage therapy offers, and the need for policy solutions to address the global health crisis of antimicrobial resistance. Superbug infections like Pseudomonas, MRSA, and Cepatia affect CF patients at disproportionate rates, but every single one of us is at risk, which is actually good news for our community because people with no connection to CF are finally paying attention to the most common cause of CF deaths. AMR, which stands for antimicrobial resistance, and the acronym I'll be using is most severe and most lethal in healthcare settings, which are often overwhelmed in times of emergency. 
You've heard the news about the unrecognized threat of bacterial infections in COVID-19 patients. What this means is that resistant bacteria do not just pose their own catastrophic health threat, they also complicate public health emergencies like COVID by layering on secondary, often unresolvable problems that can prove deadly. The World Health Organization estimates one person every three seconds will die from resistant bacteria by the year 2050 if we don't find new treatments. With this data and knowing that many essential medical procedures are dependent on antibiotics to ward off infections, decision makers and public health experts are focused on AMR in a way they have never been before. Our government is allocating hundreds of millions of dollars towards drug development through groups like CARB-X, which is funded by a global consortium of governments and foundations. This particular group is laser focused on the development of new antibiotics, antifungals, and phage therapy to address the superbug crisis. Kevin Adderson, its executive director, explains what the problem is in simple terms. The science to address AMR is extraordinary, but the business model is broken, which is why leaders in Congress have put forward proposals to address the unique challenges of this sector. Carbex tells us that drug discovery must go hand in hand with concerted action to ensure antibiotics of last resort are reserved for patients where first-line treatments will not work. Last month, I was invited to speak at the White House by Dr. Matthew Hepburn. In case you don't know him, Dr. Hepburn was tapped by President Biden to lead Operation Warp Speed. We have him to thank for our COVID vaccines, along with his other myriad accomplishments. Now ensconced in the Office of Science and Tech Policy, he asked me to share Mallory's story with representatives from the CDC and other important health-related governmental agencies with the goal of understanding the needs of the CF community in terms of fighting resistant bacteria and fungal infections. After I gave my talk, Dr. Hepburn wanted me to ask his team any tough questions I might have, and so I did. Among them, Carbex is a wonderful initiative, but I only heard about it a few months ago, despite having a daughter with resistant bacteria and speaking about Mallory, phage therapy, and AMR for five years. How can we share the work you're doing with the CF community among others? With England and Australia, among other countries, making great strides with phage therapy, why is the US not investing more heavily in and working to create more awareness about this promising area? With compassionate use cases for those at end stage, like so many CF patients are, why does no one want to fund them? How can we work together to get every single CF patient that wants to be in a clinical trial enrolled? So here's what I learned, that there's a national action plan organized around five goals designed to reduce the spread of AMR, to develop new treatments, and to collaborate with other countries facing the same threat. That salt in my soul is working as a wonderful backdrop for both conversation and action. Since storytelling triggers oxytocin, it's an effective way to engage audiences. That the stakeholders I've met from speaking more than 200 times need to talk to each other, which is why I spend a lot of my time connecting people. 
that we need to keep raising money and awareness for compassionate use because no one wants to fund these one-offs that can potentially save lives and that also offer unique data. Case in point, Mallory was the first patient with CF in the US to receive phage therapy. And while it came too late to save her, the autopsy showed proof of concept and led to others receiving this treatment. As you know, Stephanie Strathy, who you heard from on Friday night, was instrumental in securing this treatment and working with my husband, Mark, to bring it to Mallory. I am not a lobbyist. I am not a doctor. I am just a grieving mom who is suddenly poised to address a critical public health issue by virtue of the intellectual property that Mallory left me and my experience with storytelling. In Spider-Man, Peter Parker's Uncle Ben says, with privilege comes responsibility. In fact, this quote can be traced back to Voltaire and was subsequently used by Churchill and JFK. So it clearly resonates. It certainly does with me. I set about to educate myself and quickly realized that any conversations about healthcare these days must include more than a nod to the gaps in our healthcare system that are persistent, large, and increasing. Is AMR another health issue with outcomes influenced by socioeconomics? To most people, health equity means increasing opportunities for everyone to live the healthiest life possible, no matter who we are, where we live, or how much money we make. But to a patient with CF who has a superbug, to a parent of a child suffering from resistant bacteria, to a healthcare provider trying to save the life of someone dying from AMR, health equity has an additional meaning. It's the great divide between those blessed with good health and those who struggle to stay alive. To achieve health equity for this population, we need medications that work against resistant bacteria. The problem is that antibiotics don't fit into the traditional business model. Drugs like Prozac, Viagra, and Lipitor make the manufacturer billions of dollars because they sell a lot of them. Profits can then be fueled into R&D to create new medications. Since all antibiotics become resistant over time, we need some to be held back, not used, particularly CF patients. But no company wants to do that since drugs that sit on the shelf to be held in reserve don't produce any revenue. The antimicrobial marketplace is more fragile than ever. The few companies that are trying to develop new drugs are facing bankruptcy, which means they won't be able to bring their antibiotics to market. There is no quick fix to any of this, but scientists have long recognized that stronger incentives for research and development are desperately needed to avoid mass casualties. To that end, legislation has been created to address this crisis. One bill is the Pasteur Act, a market entry reward that seeks to bring new investment and therefore new drugs into this arena. The other is Disarm, a patient access initiative that works by fixing the current reimbursement system for novel antibiotics. It was created with the goal of removing cost disincentives so that formulary access would enable physicians to choose the right antibiotic at the right time for each patient. These bills tackle two different parts of the equation to solving the problem of multi-drug resistant infections. 
From what I'm hearing, the Pastor Act is doing well and getting bipartisan support. To attract sponsors, the Partnership to Fight Infectious Disease, which we know as PFID. Join forces with the Infectious Disease Society of America, which is the IDSA, CFF, which you all know, and the Boomer Esiason Foundation came together to hold an event on Capitol Hill. Members of Congress watched Salt in My Soul because Mallory's fear, her love, her pain, her depression, and her hope give voice to those who struggle with CF. I spoke about the role of storytelling in public policy and advocacy, and then Democratic Senator Michael Bennett and Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy followed with remarks about why the Pastor Act is so important. Specifically, it would establish a subscription-style system in which the federal government pays companies a set fee to access their novel antibiotics, regardless of how much the drug is used. This approach would give companies a predictable return on their investments in antibiotic research, providing the income necessary to avoid bankruptcy and to continue manufacturing their products while attracting more private investment to support additional research. Pasteur would also provide more funds for antibiotic stewardship programs at hospitals, focusing on those with the greatest need to help safeguard the effectiveness of new antibiotics, antifungals, and phage therapy to slow the evolution of superbugs. Sponsors of the bill have made the decision to only add on support in bipartisan pairs so that it does not lean to the left or the right and thereby alienate the other side. All of this makes so much sense to me. I find myself scratching my head, wondering why the American public is not understanding that we are at the precipice of a pandemic of antibiotic resistance, something all of you in the CF community have known for a very long time. So is it because of a lack of proper messaging, COVID fatigue, so many other serious and competing issues garnering headlines? Irina and Kevin McCarthy took their son to a parade and by the end of the day, he was parentless. 19 children were killed in a Texas classroom. These stories make it impossible to not care regardless of your politics. Maybe it's that a 2019 Gallup poll of the public found the pharmaceutical industry to be the most loathed sector in America. But we in the CF community are so grateful to pharmaceutical companies that make the drugs our patients take, especially knowing that CF is a rare disease. Perhaps it's because we can't bring ourselves to care about resistant bacteria because we're so focused on drug prices and lack of access. I am always the one in the room touting the need for patient stories, pushing healthcare providers and those working in pharma to think about the people, the patients when they work on policies and products. But in the case of AMR, we absolutely need to understand the story about how we find ourselves in or dangerously close to what is often referred to as a post-antibiotic era. A collapse in the drug development pipeline at the same time superbugs are proving to be an insurmountable enemy has led those thinking about this urgent health crisis to look to government and drug companies to collaborate on a global revival of new treatments. And now many of us are pushing for phage therapy 
while others are strongly focused on antifungals. How can you add your voice to the growing chorus focused on finding solutions to advance policy? Effective messaging and framing of an issue can build awareness, change public perception, and move people to action. Our elected officials need to hear from us. My understanding of the reason why Representative Kevin McCarthy is on board to support Pasteur is because his district, the people that elect him, are suffering from valley fever in disproportionate rates. So he's laser focused on antifungals. The people let him know that they expect him to prioritize this issue. Representative McCarthy is listening and has conveyed very publicly that he is working on this. While the root cause is different, the need for new antifungals within the CF community is equally important. My daughter Mallory dealt with a fungal infection and she wrote about her fears and her feelings. These are her words. My doctors at Stanford told me they consulted with doctors from Denmark and Toronto about my case, that they had presented it at a national conference because it was so complex. They decided that they needed to treat all three problems at once, the ABPA, the fungal infection, and the bisophacia infection, each aggressively with three to six months of IV antibiotics and antifungals, oral antibiotics and antifungals, and prednisone. They asked me if I was willing to do this, and I said I was, but of course, I started crying hysterically when I realized what this meant. Giving up on club volleyball and master swimming at Stanford is very upsetting, but also giving up on sleep with middle of the night IVs, giving up on showers, on feeling carefree, on having the luxury to worry about things like what's due in my class tomorrow. It's knowing that I'm not going to feel comfortable getting close to a guy because no one will want to deal with any of this. And sex with a pick line and an IV drip. I used to have fun, be fun, but now I'm gonna be on voriconazole, an antifungal for the rest of my life. And it's very hard on the liver. So drinking is a huge risk, which layers on the fear that if I can't drink anymore, I won't enjoy college because everyone drinks. I'm afraid that I won't be happy won't have friends or a significant other, that I'll always just be that sick girl. Imagine the impact if CFRI collected statements like the one Mallory wrote, along with audio and video from thousands of CF patients and delivered this to Washington. Sharing, portion, sharing patient voices is an incredible way to raise awareness. Social media is another way to drive attention. A clever TikTok that goes viral goes a long way. We all need to do our part. I live in California, and so I reached out to Senator Feinstein's office to request her support for Pastor. She is on board. Because I'm out there every day, advocating, speaking, sharing Mallory's words, I hear from people all over who are out of options because their bacteria is resistant. Their desperation is palpable. I know exactly their pain. While Mallory was still in the fight, I was so busy taking care of her that I didn't think about how I could help, what I could do. Now, I can't seem to do anything else. So I hope that you will join me because there is so much work that needs to be done. Thank you. Diane, thank you so very much. And I know questions are coming in, but first we are going to 
now move to Jacob and then we'll have our shared conversation. So Jacob, Baker, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful to, to see you both, Diane and, and Siri, and thank you for having me. Uh, very powerful words uh, from Diane. Thank you so much for, for sharing your story and, and, and the story of your daughter. And, uh, you know, many aspects of that story certainly resonate with me as someone with cystic fibrosis and, and understanding how things that impact our community can be so life and death for us, uh, but to the greater public and, and to other representatives, uh, you know, of, of the state and then of the federal government, it is you know, completely over the head and, and folks are not able to, to really understand what it is that, uh, you know, rare disease patients in general go through on the day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I find myself in the advocacy world, this was not a space that I ever thought I would find myself in. This is, I went to school, as Siri said, to, to be a social worker. I wanted to be a medical social worker. I wanted to, to give back uh, to the community in that way, that that is how I got into social work was through my medical social work, uh, my CF social work. But following an internship, uh, I did a, a month-long internship in the Capitol. And in that moment, I realized that this is, this is a space that our community is missing at. Uh, in the Capitol, we talk about, you know, if you are not at the table, then you're likely on the menu. And I look around and I realize that just as you know, Diane said, there's all these other pressing issues going on. There's all these other things and, and, and pressing concerns and competing headlines that it can be hard, right, to, to, to focus on, on something that affects relatively a small amount of people. Um, but it is the stories and it is the voices of that relatively small amount of people who say, I am not statistically insignificant. I understand that we don't have great numbers. I understand that, you know, we're we're not everywhere in, in some cases, but we matter. Our stories matter. And so it became apparent that, that, that there needs to be more rare disease folks at the table talking about all these different competing issues, right? We know that these are just some of them, right? The, the issues with medications in general, regardless of, of phage therapy or, or, you know, antibacterials. There's all these other things that we, that we have to talk about. CFTR modulators, you know, 10% of our population can't access those modulators. What are we doing for that 10%? What are we doing for the 100% that is likely going to be dealing with, you know, bacterial resistant bugs and these super bugs that we deal with all the time? All number of issues, right, that, that we deal with and on the regular basis are things that we need to be talking about, things that we need to be championing. And we must acknowledge and recognize that uh, when we have privilege, as said, that, that comes with a lot of responsibility. And we have some of us, such as myself, uh, you know, I, I have the privilege that, that my CF is manageable, that my CF allows for me to work in a full-time position. And so I have a responsibility, like many in the community, to speak out like Diane, to the privilege of, of not having CF, but knowing those who do, having that direct connection to somebody who do, we have the privilege of being able to speak out on a regular, to be loud, uh, to, to be, you know, forceful, to be aggressive, to be on top of it, because we recognize that many in the community are simply unable to do that. They're not able to, to go to DC and, and go from state to state to have these conversations uh, and, and to speak up. But there are ways 
that every single one of us, regardless of how our cystic fibrosis manifests, regardless of how our rare disease in general manifests, can give back to that fight, can support that fight. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we do that. Uh, my job every single day is to go to bat for 40 million Californians. That is my job. I remember it in social work when, you know, I would be working with, uh, with the group. I'd have my caseload of 20 people and I would say, this is not enough. There are so many more people out there who need assistance, who need a voice, who need an advocate. And so I said, I need a bigger caseload. And so now I have a caseload of 40 million people. And I still don't think that's quite enough, but it's good enough for now. But that is my job, is to go to bat every single day. And I do that, the, the tools that I equip myself to do that fight every single day are stories. Stories and voices that lived experience that each and every single one of you have, regardless whether you are a patient with cystic fibrosis, whether you are a parent of someone with cystic fibrosis, whether you are a friend, a family member, a loved one, it doesn't matter. When you have that connection to any kind of vulnerable community, your stories, your lived experience are the tools that I use to go to bat for you folks every single day. And so that is how we can all contribute. Yes, we can vote, right? Voting is obviously very important. And we talk about that and vote. And then people go and vote and they go, nothing changed. And they get frustrated with just voting, right? And, and they go, you know, there's the action alert. Call your Congress member, call your state senator. And we question whether, does that matter? Am I having an impact? Is my one phone call to somebody who doesn't know me, to somebody that I don't know, does that matter? Does that change anything? And it does. It really does. I took a phone call from a teenager in Santa Clara one time. She had, uh, this was in my capacity as the LGBTQ caucus consultant. She was a trans youth who had been through the foster care system, who had been through the homelessness system. And she called me frustrated and angry. She's 14 years old, and she said, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to do this. There's got I look at all these issues that I have. There's got to be a better way. And so we sat down, and we talked about her story. I said, what about this? What about this? By the end of that conversation, we had three bill ideas. All three of those got presented to the caucus and are getting worked up uh, to be passed, to be turned into an official bill, and hopefully passed into law. That was from a conversation with a frustrated teenager with some lived experience that said there's got to be a better way to do this. That is the power of that phone call. That is the power of that letter that you send to your Congress member, that you, that you send to your state senator. They can move mountains. We don't realize that, right? We they'd say it's one phone call and maybe that timeline doesn't look quite as immediate as we would like it to. Right. Obviously, in the world of, of antibacterial, the clock is ticking until we get to a point where we've kind of passed the point of no return. And so we want to see this really quick, rapid change. And folks get very frustrated with the federal level and Congress because, you know, rapid is not in Congress's vocabulary. Uh, it, you know, expeditious is not in their vocabulary. Right. Congress takes a very long time 
and it can seem like they take a very long time to do very little uh, and it can folks can grow very frustrated. Um, but what a lot of folks don't, don't then do is turn to their state legislator. Your state, regardless, I live here in California, but obviously we work very closely with other states. Uh, California can set the model in many ways for various other states to do this work. Um, <clears throat> we pass hundreds of bills a year. Every single year, hundreds of bills are going through that shape and change your everyday life, right? Congress, uh, on the occasion that they pass a bill, for the most part, that doesn't really affect the day-to-day -day life, right? It goes to support organizations and movements and pharmaceutical industry to hopefully get, create different market mechanisms or to create these long-term benefits and these long-term outcomes. Uh, your state legislator, regardless of what state you live in, the legislation that passes out of there will likely impact your, that is what is covered under your insurance. That is bringing down the cost of medication. That is increasing access, uh, building pipelines for, for more uh, healthcare professionals to ensure that you can go see a doctor. Uh, it's building out that, that pilot project in some rural community to give them access to some sort of healthcare. When I was a kid and me and my brother, we used to have to drive three hours to San Francisco to get adequate cystic fibrosis care. That's a problem that can get solved at the state level. That's something that we can solve you know, this year, next year, the year after. So when we talk about these issues, when we talk, and it can be very overwhelming, and we go, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know if it matters. You can start. Advocacy starts very small. Advocacy is educating yourself. That is advocacy. That is something that you can do. You can wash salt in my soul. You can engage in that story and figure out how does it impact you. And you can read these other things. You can listen to CFRI's podcasts. You can do the, educate yourself in the issues, educate yourself in, in what's going on. The next stage of that is educating those around you. That is advocacy. Advocacy does not always happen in the halls of some great building in Congress in your state capitol. That is not always the most important form of advocacy. So it's educating yourself first and educating others and we build out from there. And so while many of you may not ever testify in front of some large uh, you know, congressional hearing, you may not get that invite to the White House. Uh, sometimes the most important advocacy is the advocacy that we do interpersonally. My mother taught me what advocacy was. When I was seven years old, that was the first time I got hospitalized for my cystic fibrosis, and I was terrified, right? You get the pick line in, that's scary. They're coming in all the time for blood draws. You're doing all these therapies and medications. You're away from home. You're away from your friends and family. They wanted to do some treatment. They wanted to stick a camera up my nose and into my stomach to take a bunch of pictures. And I didn't want to do it, but I I was seven years old. That age, you don't get to necessarily say no, right? It's, it's parental consent. And so I fought really hard in that moment. I said, I don't want to do this. I was kicking and screaming. They had to bring in orderlies and nurses trying to hold me down to get this flipping camera up my nose. And eventually it got to, my mother said, we're done. We are done. He's not doing it. I don't care. We're done. He doesn't want to do it. I can't watch this. It's over. In that moment, I didn't have a voice. 
In that moment, I was someone who didn't have the privilege to advocate, but my mother did. And she used that opportunity to teach me a lesson about the privilege that we all have at times, to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. My mother has never been to the White House. My mother has never testified between a congressional committee. Uh, she only just met a state senator uh, a few weeks ago when I invited her to an event uh, here in Sacramento. But that moment of advocacy planted a seed in me that would lead me to the state capitol, to lead me to create an opportunity to fight for rare disease patients every single day. So when we talk about advocacy, when we talk about fighting for our communities, it is not always these big grand gestures and speeches. It is often the conversations we have with those who are closest to us. It is the opportunities that present themselves to fight for those closest to us. So I want folks to think about that. I want folks that that, that is how we advocate. That is how we push back. We can't, I know I'm not a scientist. I can't go do crazy intense research and I'm very thankful for those who are. I'm not a pharmaceutical chemical engineer. I can't create drugs for our community to do better. There are a long list of things that I cannot do for this community, but I can share stories. I can share my story. I can talk to the folks who are close to me. And I have the privilege of talking to those folks who sit at that table and get to make decisions. And I get to bring you all with me when I sit at that table, when these public health conversations are happening, and they do happen, Diana's right, they happen every day. These, they happen about how do we better serve our folks? How do we better serve these communities? I have the privilege of being in a lot of those conversations and I take you all with me. But I can only do that as long as the stories and that lived experience keeps coming in. When we keep talking about it, even when I'm sure plenty of people are really tired of Jacob Fraker talking about cystic fibrosis in the Capitol, I guarantee you that. But that doesn't stop me from talking about it every single day because it's still important. It still matters. You still matter. Your story still matters. Your voice still matters. So that is how we advocate. You can vote and that's wonderful and that's powerful. You can reach out to your legislators. You can talk to staff, but you can educate yourself and you can educate those around you. The reason Kevin McCarthy uh, is so on board on the, on the Pasture Act is because his citizens spoke up and said, I know somebody with valley fever. I have valley fever. I am a family member of someone with valley fever. This is important to me, and we expect you to do something about it. it. It was just one person who called at one time, you know what I mean? In that moment when we were talking, oh, I'm just, this is just one person, but I think it matters. But when we zoom out, we see that there, you are not one person. It is not one story. There are hundreds, thousands of stories. Our community in terms of who has cystic fibrosis may be small, but our community in terms of who is connected to cystic fibrosis is gargantuan. And we never know who is connected to this community in different ways. We, it can, it's always surprising sometimes, the amount of folks who say, oh, you know what? I think I had a cousin with cystic fibrosis and he passed or I have another family member with rare disease, or my best friend has a rare disease, and I, I didn't really think about it that way, and now I'm on board. So for those of you who are saying, I wanna advocate, I wanna do more for this community, I wanna fight, but don't know how, start with educating yourself, and you educate those around you, then you go talk, if possible, to the people in positions of power, come talk to me, 
Uh, I sit on one of CFRI's adult advisory boards. You can come talk to CFRI, talk to the organizations. The relationships that different organizations have are powerful. We don't always know what those relationships are until we reach out and say, hey, this is a problem for me. Do you know anyone that can help? And I'm always here to help. So thank you so much for having me. Happy to answer any questions you may have. Uh, but I, I hope to hear your stories and voices soon. And I hope to add many more tools to my tool belt uh, for Monday morning's fight. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jacob, and just such a wonderful dovetailing with Diane's presentation. So hopefully now, yes, there we go. All three of us will be on the screen. Um, what I love about this for me personally, <laughs> I am also uh, an MSW from Berkeley, but really did also see the, the power of you know, social work at a policy advocacy level and how those changes can be made. And Diane, as a fellow mother to, adult daughter with CF. Um, and I love talk therapy. It is incredibly important for mental health. But for me, in conjunction, advocacy has always served as a mental health um, tool for me as well. I feel empowered when I am taking action. So I really encourage other people. And, and I love with both of you that the recurrent theme and message is about the power of our stories. And so we have some questions. Um, I have lots of my own questions, but first we'll get to the people in the box. Diane and Jacob, what do you recommend for folks trying to share their stories, especially when you're trying to give feedback live to some legislative session and you only have 90 seconds? And I can say, I bet this is from Devin who did advocacy in Washington with me. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, trying to get feedback live to some legislative session, you only have 90 seconds. It can be very difficult to prioritize what you want to say and keep to time. How do you approach this? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? Uh, yeah, I can dive in. I, I'm very familiar with this. Uh, Siri is very familiar with this. What we have in California is called Me Too Statements, uh, which means when they bring up a bill, you in California, you get to make your, your name, your professional organization, and whether you support or oppose the bill. And it can be super frustrating, right? Because we want to talk. We're like, you gave me 30 seconds. How am I so, and I'm very limited in terms of what I can tell you. Um, but what I will say is when you're you know, there is a time and space for different stories. Sometimes that 30 seconds is all about, look, I'm a person with CF and this matters to me. And that's all you get. And that's okay. Um, it's the follow-up or the work before that can be really important, right? And talking, find out who your state legislator is, schedule a meeting with them. Now you get 30 minutes to an hour uh, to tell your story and to talk about it. And that 90 seconds is gone and you get a more free form moment. So it, it's kind of learning of like, okay, at this moment in time, this is the most advocacy I can do, and I'm going to be content with that. And in another moment, I now have more space, right? Or I have more, or you have a conversation with staff, and you hope and trust that they will pass that on to the member. So, you know, it can, that when you plug in and can really shape what your story looks like, but that even that 90 seconds is powerful. At the end of the day, those things matter. Uh, I can tell you when we're running bills, when we're going into committee, there is a conversation to say, I want a lot of me too's, even though it's a bunch of 30 second sound bites to our office, to the members on that dais, that is powerful. When I have a big showing of people, 
showing up and doing their 90 second spot. So that is that in and of itself is powerful, but also figure out who your legislator is, schedule your own time with them, and really then be able to dive in. Diane, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I have a I have a obviously a very different perspective and a different filter. And I have one message to impart, and that is script your words. Because if you have five words or 15 words, you know, like I have learned the power of messaging from the work that I do. So I've been a professional messenger and storyteller for 40 years. But for example, um, I have certain sound bites that I say all the time. And so the more you do it, the easier it gets. For example, one of them is Mallory's death was a preventable tragedy. That is in five words that packs a punch. What does that tell you? That it was preventable. That's the key word. And I think it's super important. And I speak all the time in all different audiences. And sometimes they say you have two minutes. And sometimes they say you have 20 minutes. And sometimes it's 15. And sometimes it's 30. So I insisted that Siri, I mean, I requested, but hopefully insisted that Siri listen to my remarks for this talk for the same reason. I had 20 minutes and I didn't want to make one word not relevant. And it took me a very long time to do it. And if you have 30 seconds or 90 seconds, it's even harder because shorter is harder to do. And yet less is more because the key takeaway message in a short impact statement is very powerful. It also works for social media. So I think less is more is, is a good mantra to follow. I 100% agree with that. There's a lot of people who come to the Capitol and they want to talk for like 10 minutes. It's too much, right? People people tune out, people shut down, people go, Ugh, okay, we get it, we get it, we get it. It is, it's those short, powerful statements to say, this is who I am, this is why this matters, here's this personal anecdote, sit with that. Sit with that story. I'm not going to go on for 10 minutes, I'm not going to go on for 15 minutes, I'm going to give you five minutes, I'm going to let you sit there for five minutes and think about how this story impacted me and how this story may impact you. So I 100% agree with Diane, less is more in many of these cases. There's, there's another point that is super, super, super important. And I think it's worth repeating. I say it all the time, which is that resistant bacteria, superbugs, AMR, however you want to refer to it, affects CF patients at disproportionate rates, but every one of us is at risk. Now that it's outside the CF world and it's not just our small community of those in the rare disease world, now that it affects everybody, you actually have the power. And specifically, you know, Mallory's not here, but UTI infections are one of the huge problems that resistance back, re resistant bacteria is a problem with. And so the sum is greater than the whole of its parts. So if we can aggregate the CF community with all their stories of MRSA, Pseudomonas, Hepatia, and then layer on those other ones and somehow impart that this is a problem that all of us are dealing with, that also like sort of doubles the gravitas from my perspective. Um, there's a question. Uh, what are some of the ways we can advocate from home? Dan, you want to start? Yeah, well, I have given Siri the very specific challenge of gathering all of the stories from everybody and in that case, I would absolutely recommend putting a short 30-second time limit on it, whether it's a written statement, a video, or an audio recording. And I think that if everybody that was associated with CFRI were to do that, and we could put a bow on that package, I can deliver that to the White House and say, here, listen. And I think it's really important. The sum is greater than the whole of its parts. That's another 
five words that I say all the time, although some is greater than the whole of it, so eight words. But I think it's really, really important to know that an individual person can absolutely make a difference and we all have to keep talking, but taking the stories together is gonna be even more powerful. And I think it would be great for those in California to deliver that to Jacob. But Jacob's in a position, it sounds like, to connect with other states. So if we, you know, and Siri with her connections, she can take that package and deliver it to where she goes. I mean, I just think that that we're at the beginning of a very uphill battle in terms of how you bring these drugs and treatments to market. From my perspective, because of Mallory's experience with phage therapy and because of my work with Stephanie Strathy and Chip Schooley and Ben Chan and all the people doing that work, and I really do understand, I am equally focused on exploring this possibility. I don't know if it came up in the panel on Friday, but you know, Australia is using that treatment. And I think the CFF is now funding more, more trials, which is really great. And we just have to keep making noise, antifungals, antibiotics, and phage therapy, because we do need. Now, again, there are so many other issues that affect CF patients' mental health and um, some of the issues Jacob brought up. So I don't mean to just focus on that one only, but I do think that for especially the people that Trikafta isn't working for, I mean, look, Trikafta is working for so many people and doing so many amazing things, but the 10% that fall outside or the people who've had side effects, there's that subset that this is even you know equally important or more important too. We have to just pull everybody together. And I think Vertex and Trikafta is a perfect example of how a pharmaceutical company can actually change the trajectory for a patient. And that's why we need to invest in these drug companies, even though people hate big pharma, but it's not really big pharma now that's doing this. They decided there's a long time ago, there's not enough incentives in the space. So small pharma are the ones who actually could move the needle here and save lives. And that's my area of advocacy right now. Yeah, no, and I think that's great. And, you know, how do we advocate from home? Like I said, you know, first educate yourself, which, you know, some it's not necessarily educating yourself on the issues all the time. It's, do you know who your state senator is? Do you know who your state assembly member is? Do you know who your Congress member is? Uh, and then calling them, talking to them, saying, I want to talk, I want a meeting. And it doesn't have to be a meeting to say, oh, I want a bill or I want a this, I want a that. It's a meeting to say, hi, I'm a person in your district. I'm a constituent of yours and I have cystic fibrosis. And let me tell you a little bit about what that is and talk generally about, you know, these are these are issues in our community and I would love to see your support on these kinds of things. Uh, educating yourself can look like, is there a bill right now going on? Is there a bill to create a rare disease council in your state? Is there a bill to address copay accumulator programs? Is there any number of these kind of weird wonky issues that maybe folks, you know, are touched in on, whether it's antibacterial, superbugs, or something completely different? Uh, and talking a little bit about that issue and say, did you know this is an issue for our community? And we would love to see you, you know, address that in some way. Or there, here's a bill that we would love to see your support on. Uh, and that can all be done from home. That can all be done from your cell phone uh, and doesn't take you having to travel great distances or do create some sort of speech and speak in front of a bunch of people, but really just having a conversation with someone in that office. So I think those are some really kind of easy ways to, to advocate from home. And I'm going to jump in because we'll make it even easier for you. So often, you know, every week in our e-newsletter, we almost always have some kind of action alert, whether we've generated it or we're linking it to NORD, the National Organization of Rare Disorders. 
um, people think, oh, if they click and I put my zip code in, that email isn't going to matter. As Jacob said, numbers do matter. And you know, recently I had a meeting with a, a Congress member and it was part of it was about Pasteur Act, Diane. And she said, thank you for talking to us because you have to realize every person in the legislature, whether it's state or federal, we are, her words, drinking from the fire hose. <laughs> there are so many bills coming at us. We can't even absorb all of them. And to have somebody say, this impacts me personally, I want you to pay attention because now I'll pay attention because there's just so much. It isn't that she doesn't care. It's just the volume is so large. So, you know, from your home, literally those action alerts can make quite a difference. And for people who are in our list, sometimes an issue comes up in a state. Colorado is a great example. And so I'll send an email to everybody in Colorado that's in our database that has a relationship to CF and say, can you send a notice here? Here's the email. Here's a message you can say literally to respond to those has such a huge impact. And then finally, just to jump to one of the questions there about how do you find, you know, is there a list of bills? The other thing, in addition to Diane's project that we are going to fully explore about recording people's stories, is that our website on our advocacy page, we in the next two weeks are doing a massive upgrade of, of it so that we list all the issues that CFRI is focused on and each one would have a place you could click and you could either send a direct email or you can do it through an action alert. So that is in the hopper for the next two weeks. We've got a lot to do. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Uh, you can, I think if you, I think that might be a really, really, really great way to do the story project, which is do it through your, your website, through a click of a link. That would be the easiest for everybody. I mean, I know, I mean, I don't know how many people get those notes. Oh, somebody's having a birthday and because it's COVID, we're doing a video for them. And you click here and you do this and you look in the camera. And what I notice is that when it's easy, I do it. When it's not so easy, I say, well, I don't have time now. I'll do it later. And then sometimes things slip. So the easier you can make it for people to add their names and voices, the better it will be. So I think that might supersede the other idea because if you can do it with one click, that would be great. Yeah. And those individual stories are so powerful. There is, when we first started talking about the copay accumulator bill here in California, one of the first questions I asked Siri was, do you have folks who this has impacted? Do you have stories of people who went through this? Uh, because I, I believe it's a real issue. I don't need the data. Those hard numbers and percentages are going to be kind of, it's easy to get lost in the weeds. I asked Siri, do you have a story? And she said, yeah, I've got, I think I have a couple. And she sent those to me. And in a conversation with Senator Eggman, we were talking about it. And she was, you know, I'm talking with her about the issue, talking to the center about the issue. And I gave her one of the stories as an example. And I said, this is bullshit. And Senator Eggman goes, this is bullshit. What? She's like, insurance companies are getting paid twice. She's like, this person, blah, blah, blah. I said, this person went through this and look how much they had to pay. And this is ridiculous. Uh, it helps the, to be in the office and, and Senator Eggman knows how much my medications cost because I rail about it all the time. The Tricafta costs $300,000 a year and that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but it was that one story that got the Senator to go, hold on, this is, we need to do something about this. One story that I asked from Siri that came in through the community. So, you know, it's, when you provide your story, even in a little video soundbite or something like that, you have no idea. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's not for three years. But then Siri goes, I have a story for that. And that gets to me and I get it to the people who can make decisions. And sometimes it's that one story that gets a member to go, 
all right, we need to take a look at this. We need to do some, hold on, you know? Uh, so that is the impact of one story. And that is why it's so important to, to, to really do this and, and to tell it. Sitting in comfy in your chair, on your bed, on your couch, uh, it's the story that matters. Uh, so that I think is, yeah, such a great tool to use. And, you know, it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with COVID, obviously, all these hearings and meetings have become virtual in a way that they were not before. And I will be shocked if we go back to the you must be in person to testify model pre-COVID, in which case people do, you know, are able to participate. So, you know, I've had meetings with people in Colorado and Washington, Devin, God love you, always comes and testifies at these meetings. Everybody, I mean, I think that's the other thing for CFRI. We're really looking for people in each state that will step up and say, you've got something going on. I'm your person, you know, reach out to me. And the issue Jacob was talking about earlier is copay accumulator programs in which your insurance changes the rules. You can't use your copay cards from like Genentech. Um, the, the money that those cards, you know, give to the pharmacy, uh, in the end, it doesn't reduce your financial burden, your out-of-pocket, um, but several states have outlawed this, and CFRI is very active in this, and it was a family in Arizona that shared their story with me. They ended up testifying. Arizona was the first state to ban the use of copay accumulator uh, program, so again, the power of the personal story. And we have gone over, and I'm so grateful to everybody for staying here with us. We can talk and talk, um, but I'm just going to leave it, actually send it back to Jacob and then Diane for just any closing thoughts. Uh, just extreme gratitude, as always, to be able to come and speak to folks and, and talk to them about uh, the importance of their story and, and how they can get involved. Um, if it seems scary, if it seems, you know, we have these concepts that uh, these myths around advocacy that you know my voice my is insignificant I'm one person it doesn't matter I don't you know it takes you've got to be a lobbyist or you've got to have a lot of money to kind of shape or move things in these big spaces that's not true you know that those things are not true your voice matters your individuality is important and of worth uh and it doesn't take some advanced degree or some significant amount of money to start a bill idea. You can be a 14-year-old in Santa Clara who says, I've gone through some stuff, and I don't think that it that should go on for anybody else. Uh, that's that's how these bill ideas sometimes happen, right? It's it's not all these, these, these big corporations that lobby for these bills. Sometimes it is a conversation with staff to say, this is a problem, we should do something about it. Um, so always, as my inbox is always open to folks, you is you live in California, you're on my caseload, and so therefore I'm here for you. I'm your social worker. Uh, blow up my inbox, come talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a coffee. Let's see if we can turn it into a bill idea. Can't guarantee that, but sometimes that's exactly how it works. Um, but you are worthy and you deserve a, a life of access, a life of an ability to thrive and not survive. Um, and so I want folks to know that and to know that the pathway to that is through advocacy and the pathway to that is, is sharing your story, even with those people who roll their eyes when they go, oh, they're talking about cystic fibrosis again. You're damn right I am. You are damn right I'm talking about cystic fibrosis again. And I'm gonna keep talking about it. So keep talking about it. Keep telling your story, keep going out there, keep fighting. Uh, it matters, It's all. it all matters. And Jacob, before I turn it to Diane, do we have your permission to share your uh, email address in the chat box? Yeah, absolutely. 
uh, I am a public official, so I everything okay. I am is public, so feel free. Okay, and Diane. I am not a public official. I am a grieving mom, um, and you are welcome to share my email because I do refer to emails when I speak at different venues, and I think it's very, very helpful. Usually what will happen is I won't use a name, but I'll pull a line or some pertinent information. But the one thing I would reiterate is that I encourage you still in the fight or still with a loved one in the fight to get involved. I unfortunately waited until it was too late. I look back and I think, why did I not know about or fight for phages for Mallory, which the autopsy showed could have helped? And we're hearing that it does. Why did I not say we're out of antibiotics for Cepatia when Mallory was 12? Why can't we do something? Why did I not understand that voriconazole had so many side effects to the liver and was a drug or colistin that was toxic that these, these drugs needed to be ramped up and revitalized and investment needed to be made. So I would just leave you with the parting thought that use your voice now, don't wait. Otherwise you'll be like me where you do it out of grief instead of out of hope. Well, I thank both of you so very much for being here, sharing your own stories, motivating others to share theirs so that we can make change at whatever level, state, federal, policy. Um, it is all for the greater good for our community. And we are so grateful to you for being here. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Diane. Thank you.